This episode was brought to you by the Social Fishing Membership, Australia's fastest growing freshwater platform, giving you the resources to catch more fish. Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. G'day everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. This is episode 56 and I am extremely excited to share what's ahead. I was lucky enough to tee up and sit down and interview Curtis Parker. Now for those of you who don't know Curtis, this guy knows how to fish and he chases barra, bass, cod and a range of other species. This is an incredible chat and you are not going to want to miss a minute of it. No matter what species you target, you will learn something from this. And the best thing of all is Curtis, uh, he is just the most down-to-earth, honest Aussie bloke you will find and they're the people I love sitting down and chatting with. People who are open, he was that open to share whatever question I sent his way, happy to help and there is so much awesome information in this podcast and that's the good thing that I really love about doing these podcasts. Not only is helping you guys learn more about all these different tactics and techniques and getting people to talk about what they know, sharing it with you, that's what I find so special about doing the podcast because even just after recording this one, I only just recorded it, I was like, wow, that's why we do it because you'll know by the time you get to the end of it, you'll feel exactly as I did. The, the knowledge that he has is just incredible and being able to share it with you is just a special thing. But the other thing that I was talking about there that I love about the podcast is that you follow so many different people on social media. You see them in videos, you see all their photos in magazines and things like that and you're not really sure what kind of person they are like whereas this podcast is really good because you get to know a little bit more about all these um, social media influences that you follow on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, things like that. You get to know them a little bit more as a person and I find that really special because you get to see how genuine some of these people are. Curtis, he is just that down to earth, that genuine and a really top bloke which you wouldn't know from his photos. He's got these big fish and big cheesy grin um, which is awesome and you can tell you can tell by the photos he's a nice bloke, but you'll see exactly what I'm talking about when we get into this episode further. So, I'm really excited to uh, to share this with you and I want, want again, thanks, thank Curtis for sitting down and taking the time to record this episode. It was like a chat between two blokes, which it pretty much was. had no structure. It just basically went wherever it went and I think uh, we talked about incredible things and we could have gone on for ages and ages. So, whether you're chasing bass, cod, barra, we talk about all three species, but whether you're just a fisho and you don't even chase them, you chase trout, you'll still learn from this and it'll get your mind ticking about how fish behave. Now, another thing, by the end of this, you will realize Curtis is an incredibly knowledgeable angler. He has that much information um, and we only scratch the surface, but you can tell the way he thinks. He thinks outside the box. There's a lot of thought process that goes into his fishing and yeah, he's one of those people that you can, if you go on social media, you follow him on Instagram. If you don't, make sure you do, Curtis Parker. Um, you'll see big barra, big cod, big bass. It's because this fella knows what he's doing. He's spent time on the water and it's an exciting episode. So, I won't ramble on anymore, guys. We'll jump straight into this episode and I hope you enjoy. If you do enjoy it, please make sure you screenshot or share uh, your podcast app that you're listening to this on on social media. Tag Curtis and myself and let us know if you enjoyed it and that way we'll keep bringing episodes out 
for you. So without further ado, guys, let's jump in and talk with the one, the only, Curtis Parker. Guys, welcome back to another episode. I'm really excited for this one. Um, this is going to be a good, fun chat. I have Curtis Parker on board with me. Now, Curtis lives, he's probably the furthest north in regards to people I've interviewed so far. And I'm super pumped because we're going to be talking a little bit about Bass, Cod, Barra. Curtis, thanks for joining me, mate. It should be fun. Yeah, yeah. Happy to be here, Rose. So, mate, we'll jump straight into it. Um, I've got a few questions for you, and then we'll just see where the conversation goes. Can you just tell us, for people who don't know who you are, haven't seen your content on socials, can you just talk us through your early life, how you got into fishing, where you're from, and why you love fishing so much? Yeah, no worries, mate. So, I'm a Penrith boy, Western Sydney. Um, I was a mad footy head um, growing up till I hit about 13. And then I went bass fishing, and that was it. it yeah. was, um, I broke my dad's heart. He was the trainer of the team, and um, under 15s, I think I'd give the footy away just so I could go fishing more and more. Um, so my life pretty much revolved around fishing the Nepean River for bass. Yep. Um, I lived on Nepean Avenue, which um, is parallel to the Nepean River in Penrith there, so just me and a mate after school, mostly, you know, Geordie Cale or Natty Hunt, if they're listening, you bozos, but... Um, we'd drag the canoe over the over the road and launch it um, below the log cabin there and bass fish most afternoons after school, mate. It was um pretty good little gig growing up. So do you remember the Might've... first trip? Like, do you remember that first one where it was like, yeah, this is what I want to do? Do you, do you still remember that? I remember my first bass that I caught, which was off the, um, I guess you caught the pontoon where they launch all the, all the um Oh, the, the um, what do you call them? The bloody all the rowan. Yep, yep. Yeah, <laughs> what do you bloody call anything? You know all them racing canoes. Yeah, and stuff yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, off the pontoon there of the rowers club anyway, and we're fishing. Just can't. It would have been a an old man five plus or something like that. We would have been pegging off there, and I remember catching a bass, and it had these spikes on the top, and had these little gill rake thing looking things, and I didn't even want to touch the poor little bugger, mate. But um. It was a bit of a thrill, that little hookup, you know, and I just thought, oh, that, that was pretty exciting, you know, and it just started from there. Pretty sure it was off. Um, my mate loaned me a little Kmart rod from memory. Yeah, how good is that? Uh, so do you, do you even know, did you guys even know what you were doing? Or did you make no, a fish? No. No, um, no, no. The first bloke I went fishing with was a bloke by the name of Lee Chapman. He was in my footy club, in my footy team. Um, I was halfback. He was a, he was a fullback, and he just lived at Labry Avenue behind me, and um. I'm pretty sure his old man lent us the fishing rods. And we thought, I'll give this fishing a, a go, you know. We went down the old Rollers Club pontoon and, oh, mate, what, I don't even know how we were cranking them back in, probably flat out like you're chasing bloody yeah. Taylor or something. But um, I just remember the catcher, mate, the catcher, and um, neither of us wanted to unhook the poor little bugger. I'm pretty sure we just flicked him off off the treble. And, um, but that was it, eh, to be honest. Um, I, me nan, nan bought me a Rex Hunt um, combo, if anyone remembers them, or a yellow and black um blank yeah oh, i've had a four to five kilo um spin stick and remember me old rex hunt combo mate and well, i got a good couple of years out of that nice. good memories and then so that was so would you say you're 14 or 15 yeah 13 four, something yeah. like that yeah. Mate. yeah just and then start of high school goes from there so what happened after that what what did you do for the rest of your teenage and well, then how'd you end up where you are now my old man bought a a kayak a single kayak 
Um, and a there is a beeline kayak from memory, fiberglass. And also he got a it was a beeline Canadian two seat canoe. Yep. Um, he bought him off a fella at the pub, and because he, he, you know, he liked, seen I like me fishing and that, and um, yeah, we, we upgraded from fishing off the pontoon at the rowers club to in the canoe. Um, and you sort of it didn't take you know it didn't take all that sort of long to um to sort of nut out out of catching. My bass aren't an extremely hard cat fish to catch. Yeah. Um, and we yeah mate, it was just put the canoe in down in front of the below the pub there on the river, and we'd we'd scoot up along the Pean Avenue or. Um, on the weekends, we had a lot more time, and we'd do what we called a weir drop. So we'd um, we'd go over the over the Penrith weir um, and fish down into that Emu Heights Yarramundi area. And uh, yeah, that was um, where you get the bigger bass. You know, the whole forty centimeter jobs back then were big. Yeah, and then from there, so that was your teenage years. Yeah, well, um, it was pretty much all bass, mate. And then I got my license, so. That's where um, all, the, all the, the real fun started beginning yeah. with the big... It happens for everyone, eh? It's exactly the same for everyone. Yeah. I talk to them and they're like, yeah, we did what we could on our push bikes or walking and then licenses, like, that's the end of me. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you, that, well, that's the control fishing has, isn't it? Like, I had a HJ um, holding you, you know, I souped her all up with the, the big 308 V8 and, um, you know, four-speed, uh, five-speed manually. You know, I spent all my apprentice wages on it, of course. Yeah. But it was no. I used to put the canoe in the back of that, but it was, you know, it was that low and it was no good. So I swapped that for a for a uh, the old the old slug box um, four point two patrol with no turbo. <laughs> but geez, geez, I did some K's in that thing, the Clay River, Manning River, all them rivers, you know, all the way up to to the Clarence River, you know, and fish the the man in Boyder and that, you know, when I was in my twenty early twenties, just for the weekend sort of thing, you know, yeah. all nighter it on Friday. Fish all day Saturday, half day Sunday, drive home for work for the Monday morning. It was bloody crazy, really. Yeah, good fun though, but eh? Un- unreal fun, mate. And that's that's where the, that's where the passion of the, the Clarence system really began, you know, them first few trips up there. Yeah. And so how do you now, talk us through what life's like now. How did you get from Sydney to where you are now? And what do you do with yourself now fishing-wise? Because it's come a long 100... way from there. Yeah, yeah, I've... I've been moved around a fair bit the last few years. Um, 100% honest with you, I, I moved for bass fishing, to be honest. Um, I, uh, you know, the Pean River still got a special spot in me in my heart, but there's not, you know, she's, she's pretty polluted, the old Nepean, she, and she doesn't have any sort of quality fish. And then trips up to the Maclay and, and the Manning and the Bellow and Rivers like, oh, I just wanted to be closer to there. And just so happened, my old man bought a uh, macadamia nut farm just out in the Byron Bay hinterland. Yep. Um, and he well, he actually bought the block and then, then he, you know, put up, you know, planted all the maccas and whatnot. But he, him and mum moved up there when I was 24, I'm pretty sure. Um, and I only lasted one more year back in, in Penrith. Um, and I moved up there when I was 25. And what hit the nail on the head was actually my first Cape York trip. Um, it was an eight-week trip of a couple of really good mates, and I just really didn't want to go back, mate. To be honest, I just yeah, I just I wanted to hit the road. I'd, I'd done twenty-five years in Penrith. It was time to move somewhere I wanted to be permanently. And yeah, yeah. So so the Bar and Bay Hinterland it was, which is only an hour and a half from the from the the mighty Clarence system, mate. And that's where um, and you were there for quite a while. Still there in still a way. There. So yeah, I lived on the Macca farm with mum and dad. Um, 
I used to work for Byron Shire Council only for a year or so. I didn't really like that much. Not much work going around the Byron Way. And then I got a job on drill rigs. Yep. Um, uh, and got a little bit of money in my pocket. Met my wife. We bought a little farm in a place called Rock, um, Rock Valley. Um, but it didn't really suit, you know, working away with the missus and that. And um, the whole time I'd done these bass trips um, for the last few years, prior to moving up there, I used to talk to a fellow by the name of Barry Payne, who actually owned my caravan park before we bought it. And um, he used to run me up the river, you know, so I could do multiple solo trips or with a mate and, you know, I'd pay him, you know, 100 bucks or whatever. He'd run me up in my car and pick me up here, there and everywhere, all over the men in Boyder and Clarence. And, yeah. Um, we ended up, yeah, like, like one day I just thought to myself, I wouldn't mind buying that little place at Ducadri and, when with me and the missus at the farm there and me working away, it just it wasn't really working. So we uh, once we got married, we bought the Mighty Man River Caribbean Park, mate. We've been there for eight years or so now. Eight years. I was going to say how long ago was that. So, yeah, you're going yeah. back. Yeah, of... fair way. Yeah. Um, always knew we'd sort of end up in Jakadri. It's always there. Yeah, I love the place. I'll never leave. Yeah. Um, and, we, well, you know, everyone likes, you know, when we're in Northern, um, Northern Rivers, New South Wales, you still like to do your, your other trips like your Barra. Um, and stuff all the way up north and a few proserpine trips and um, we come up here one time and after you know, we've done a few heaps of trips up here but um i come back from a morning session out at um, lake proserpine and hope goes to me oh would you like to go and have a look at this little place called midge point and i'm like no no i wouldn't it sounds horrible <laughs> you, know, it, you know it sounds like i'm gonna get eaten by midges yeah and anyway she kind of you know, twisted my arm we, we jumped in the in the in the cruiser and we went for a little trip during the day and we drove into this place midge point and we fell in love with it mate so we bought our block here and um we're actually just in the process of i've just put a house on here and um just we're going through you know going through the process of getting the house ready and all that but it's my stone throw from the beach it's it's, it's hard to divvy up your time between Jakadri and here because I love them both as much as each other, you know? Yeah, so but, here means you're sitting halfway up the Queensland coast at the minute, aren't you? So you're at midpoint right now. I'm sitting on my in my um, shed at the back of um, the house and I can um, yeah, the, the birds in the park, mate, it's a great little spot. We're only It's only 20 cases of crow flies from Ely Beach to the south. Yeah, wow. And then yeah. how far and your fishing style, they will get into that later on, I'll talk to you about fishing style, but you're not far from Barra, yep. like you can go shoot out no, and catch Barra. No, no mostly, I mostly fish um, Peter Forst. Yep. Um, and if the weather's really good, I'll, um, I'll head, head over to Timbra. Um, it's just as Timbra is a, a fair bit further for me. It's probably an hour and a half drive. How far is uh, Peter Forst? Oh, 45, mate. Yeah, okay. 60 k's. So you're on the coast, um, nice and warm, and you're not far from Barra. Nah, and I and they've it's it's shocking, you know. Like all the locals here, there's a lot of all the locals here. They they fish the reef and and all the rest of it. And I know why a lot of people still fish for a feed of fish too. I get it. I just um I just can't drag myself away from the bar at the moment to go out and and chase them pelagics and you know and um some coral trout and all the rest of it. It's just I wake up in the morning and I'm like, nah, I'm going barra fishing. That's it. Yeah, how <laughs> good. Yeah. So so no, you're um. So you're based up there, so that's just so. What do you do? You split your time between both places. Yeah, well, I've got a manager in at the park now, um, yeah. so I sort of don't really need to be there much anymore. So, um, and, and with his house business going on at the moment, so we've been up here for about three months, give or take. You know, we've done a few trips here and there up the Cape and and all that, but I think um, it'll be 
we'll probably spend, you know, the seven months up here, a year and the five months at Jukadri. Yep. So the five I, months I of like, summer down south? Yeah, a bit of both. Um, I, I do love me cod fishing in the winter. Yeah. Um, well, I love me cod fishing any time, but yeah. I just saw there's so many things to catch in the warmer months as well. I just like to dedicate that three months to the to the cod. Yeah. Um, but I love me bass fishing still, mate. It's I've been doing it for nearly thirty years, and it's still uh, probably still be my favourite. Getting in the canoe and heading down a wild river, catching big bass. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're in a pretty awesome part of the world and it's very different to where i'm sitting right now what's the temperature up there oh, i'm sweating so i reckon <laughs> <laughs> it would be hang on i've got my little weather station here it is 28 degrees mate yeah and humid and very humid mate and we've got a little storm brewing yeah too. how crazy yeah. is that i'm down south i have me uggies and me trackies on this morning <laughs> it was three whereabouts down south i'm in tumor so oh, oh it's freezing there yeah oh, it's yeah it's cool <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah so it's it was three degrees this morning still we're just about to hit a warm patch but yeah. oh god so you're a blair, you'd be a blaring in a barren jack man wouldn't you yeah yep yep sure am. big cod so big cod beams mate blaring i can see because i live out of town i can actually see the blaring cliffs from my oh. place which are the cliffs above the pines above the yeah. the eastern foreshore so is it as hard as they say old blaring yeah yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. it is the hard. Fluctuating uh, water levels and all the rest of it. They say. And What's that about the... It, it, the? The water fluctuates a lot in blaring. They reckon. Yeah, it does. So they use it. So basically, the water comes out of the snowies, and then it's the first point at which it hits irrigation water. So above that, it's all snowy hydro water. Um, yeah. So they so, drop it so... in. At they drop it in randomly, but it because it yeah. and Barrenjuk are massive for the MIA, the Murrumbidgee Irrigation Area. Just it does go up and down a lot, but it, it just it drops really quick in the spring and the summer. Um, How do you find that? To yeah, shut them down. Well, put it this way: as, as a as a thought, being a fish that's lived there and only there, I don't think they know any different. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so, yeah, it does. So yeah. I think they just adapt to it. I think the, the thing there is the clarity. Like you can see five yeah. mate. Like you can see five meters that's awesome cod like it's yeah crazy yeah that 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 coolness the cool the water the um the clearer it is too isn't it yeah come it comes off basically yeah just all pulled up water up from above Mm. like it's all just um lake after lake after lake all the dams up above so yeah clear awesome yeah so it's really cool so yeah no i'm in a very different part of the world to you so but it's it's cool stories like it's like because you live in your own bubble and here mm. I am, and like you forget, everyone else is out there doing stuff that is completely different. And it's cool that you kind of just moved up from Sydney and went, you know what, this is where we want to be, and this is what we're going to do. So chasing good the on fish, you, mate. Chasing the fish, Reese. Yeah, yeah, it's an addiction. So, uh, what's your what's your dream? Okay, we've got a, I've got a couple of questions. What's your dream <laughs> session and place to fish on those three species? So let's start with cod. What would yep. be your dream sort of just – don't have to go like into too much detail but detail, but like your session, time of year and your technique you'd use for cod, like your dream, same again mm. for bass, same again for barra. What are the three? So one that hasn't actually eventuated, just what I would dream of to take place. Yeah, more like what's – if you could pick one, not it can have happened. Like if you were to pick one, where is your dream spot? Like it doesn't have to be a dream that hasn't happened. But if I was yeah. to say you can go chase Barra using this technique, you'd be like, I'd oh, we would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd still go to Copeland. Um, 
but it'd have to be um, pre, you know, 2016 before it, because <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, it's a great fit, you know, it's still, I, I can't really comment because I haven't fished blaring, I fished barringer. Yeah. Probably fished um, four or five cod impairments now and a heap of rivers up in the tablelands. Yeah. But Capeton, to me, is still the mecca for numbers of big cod. Still now but, uh, or back in 2016? Still now. Oh, they're still there. You know, probably more now. But they just it was just it was crazy to watch that the uh, evolution of how, how the bites have changed with certain lures. And like when I started um, fishing Capeton, I'm pretty sure it was 2016, something like that. Yeah, it was. Um, it was it was a wake bait bite, so that's what you threw it at Cape and you threw wake baits, you know. And yep. once the sun once the sun come up, you pretty much give up the ghost and go home. Um, and that's how I sort of started with the wake baits and and big chatter baits, um, stuff like that. Once the sun was up, but sort of um, I sort of woke up to myself a little bit. Cod bite all all day, you know, a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, you might have a bit of moon underfoot or moon overhead or. A spike in barometric pressure or something like that. Um, well, the best session they ever had at Copeton was at two o'clock in the afternoon. Really? And yeah, five. It was five cod in two hours. Uh, meter eleven was the biggest, and I can't think it was another meter in a few nineties. It was and it was just it was ridiculous, you know. And um, was that in a what like a two hour period or? Yeah, in a two. I fished longer, but it, that bite went for about two hours, which. Um, by the time you catch and release, you know, five cod on your own, yeah. solo photography and all that. But um, the way, you know, I fish solo most of the time and I've got a fair camera set up so you got to fill the live well up, put the fish in the live well, set your tripod up, external timer, flash, all the rest of it. So she's a bit of a process. Yeah. Um, after that couple of hours, I was pretty pooped, mate. But by <laughs> four o'clock, that was it. But that was, it was all over. Was it winter? It was winter, mate. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'd have to look through my Insta, but... I'm pretty sure it was July, and it was sunny or overcast. It was su- it was sunny, mate. It was beautiful, still afternoon. Yeah. Um, and I actually the only reason I went out fishing that early is because I I'd been out really early that morning. I can't remember how I can't yeah I can't remember how I went that morning, but I went back and had had a bit of, bit of a bite to eat and a nana nap in the back of the ute, and I just woke up at one o'clock and I was bored. I said I'll go out early today. And no it was just, but it was it was on, mate. And I was just fishing those shadowed ledges, um, and I'm pretty sure I got them all just sinking chatterbaits to the bottom and slow cranking them back. That's it crazy. Was, um, it, it was an epic bite, mate. Now I want to ask, how come you don't remember your morning session? Like it's not like you didn't have any action that afternoon. Come on, surely you yeah. don't remember your morning <laughs> session after. Well, I can't five. remember. I always like to um, sort of remember how the bite was in the morning, the afternoon. So I always find it coping. The morning bite is generally better than the afternoon bite yeah um, you always do, do see a lot more bait flicking and the same goes for glenline um i used to fish pindaria a little bit too before the fish kill um and it was always i always used to say to people it was three fish it was a three fish morning at copeton yeah and a one fish afternoon and sometimes you might pin one one or two at night yeah but yeah i generally like to get up at three thirty, four o'clock so i didn't fish all that long at night to be honest I'd, yeah i'd, I'd like to hit the sack by you know eight thirty, nine o'clock but on that morning on that day the morning yeah. session who cares <laughs> no nah, it didn't yeah I, I i actually um was gonna go home early after that session and surprise the wife because i wasn't supposed to be home till the next day and i forgot i'd come in because at cape and you got to you can put in the one two three four code and come in without paying until you leave yeah but it was and too i'd late. done that i know yeah and they, the office was shut and i packed up all my staff put the boat in the trailer 
and the office was closed and I couldn't get out till the next morning anyway. Um, <laughs> That's all <laughs> but right. Yeah, that, that, was, that was an epic session, mate. Like, it doesn't sound like a lot of people that don't chase cod, they'd be like, oh, fly fish, you know. Like, you can go out to Peter Force and catch 10 bar in the morning if they're on, but like five cod in an impairment in the morning, that was um, in the afternoon, sorry, two, two to four o'clock, I was, it was pretty, I was pretty chuffed with it. Eh? Yeah, five fish for a three or four day trip is mm. not too bad going now. So, you yep. know how you talked about you'd like to go back to 2016 for cod? Like, I'll, we'll talk about Baron Bass in a second. What, yep. and I've asked a few people this, and it's, I've got a fair assumption of what happened, but the, it, it, Copeton would have to be the perfect example as an experiment for fishing pressure on the behavior of fish, hey, over a five year Absol- period. There's nowhere absolutely. else you could. Yep. There's nowhere else that has seen a trend. And I know most nah. people, like some people would have firsthand experience of fishing it, yep. like, say, a stack over those five years. And then there's people who watch it on social media. But even from a social yep. media point of view, it was evident that in five years, there has been a massive shift. Absolutely. I wish, I've, I've just, um, I've got my hand up for um, mega live at the moment, Hummingbird. So I wish we had that sort of technology back then. To see, you know, like I'd love to see how a Copeland cod reacts to a surface lure now. Yeah. You know, because in 2016, um, that was the gun technique. And they wised up, mate, honest. They wised up good and proper. Um, I remember I had a, I don't remember if I bought it or I got it given to me or whatever, but I had a, I think, I think it was baby bass colour um, gantrel. Yeah. And I still had the original hooks with the, the feathers on the treble and whatnot. And... I didn't like it was to me it was like oh, I don't know about that looking you know silly looking thing, and they really wised up to the chatterbait bite and you but you'd still get them in you know um under the cover of darkness on your wake baits and your and your paddlers and stuff like that yeah but I remember it was like nine o'clock in the morning, and I was up around that Wanulla area it was forty six forty seven percent the lake yeah and I remember it was the sun was up the session was over mate I couldn't get a bite on a on a chatter or a, you know a big um big dive or anything like that. Well, I guess it's all right on the lipless cranks and stuff like that as well, but they, they've wised up to the rattles. Um, and I remember I threw this gantrel on, you know, standard hooks and everything, expecting nothing and banging three cod in, you know, an hour. And they've been overly big. Yeah. But I thought, hang on, this is uh, this is a game changer. Yeah. And they, and, and a, a few times I've had cod spit up them um the little cruising carp in the boat and you know it was a, it was a spitting image of the gantrel like they've, they've copied you know harry's done well to copy that to a t yeah and um th- there was the gantrel bite as you know and i love gantrels dry gantrels you know i love all them big swim bait but they've wised onto the dry gantrels now too yep. yeah absolutely like you know People get up. I've had fallouts with people that fish caped and, you know, not, don't lose any sleep over it, but they're like, hey, you know, you, know you, you only fish it 20 times a winter or whatever, but you, you don't have to fish it every day to realise that they, you know, that they catch on a certain trends of, of lures, you know. Yeah. Um, if I was to go to Cape now, I'd, I'd probably be more leaning towards, like, um, silent um, lipless cranks and, and big plastics and stuff like that. How crazy is that your example of... The fact that you fished that hard with all the lures they'd seen before, and even at a least like a, a time of day that was even less prime than the, the just prior when you were casting those other lures, you, you cast a lure you've never cast before and you catch three fish. Like, that's yeah, they just that's, know what to ignore, they do totally. And like, they're in that they're in that lake, like, Copeland gets pumped, it's absolutely pumped. It's, it's 365 days a year, it's fished, mm. you know. Um, 
that's why I ended up shooting over to Glenline a lot more after the the coping fame really, you know, hit its peak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'd have two, you know, people moving in on your point or your bay or wherever you're fishing. You give, you know, you, you end up giving the shits. But yeah. it's it is amazing. Like that three fish that morning at nine o'clock, and it also got me on on another thing not to just fish that that first light and last light period as well. Like sometimes if you you know if you do your homework before you go on your trip. There are other bite times during the day. Yeah. That, you know, and I'm sure that's not their, their peak feed time, obviously. They do, you know, they like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I read, like, when, um, you know, your first light and your last light, the, your bait fish, like your bonies and your corrosions, that they don't have the same um, sort of eyesight as your, as your big predators, like your cod and your barra. So they're sort of, they're, that's their weak point in the day when they're, you know, they're a bit dazed and confused and, and easy prey for for the cod and barra and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So in the middle of the day, you know, when it's, you know, the light's high and, um, it, you know, it's a lot, lot easier for the bait, you know, to escape the big gob of a cod. But I just, I've had some really good sessions at Copeland and Glenline at, you know, not so much mid morning, but that that sort of mid afternoon, you know, go out a little bit earlier. Mm. Um. I know some of the guys that fish at night. They do really. No, they can do really well at, at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, they they might pick a you know moon directly overhead with a bit of cloud cover, or sometimes when you got a lot of people don't like the moonlight on the water, but it, it creates a better silhouette for your lures too for for the cod, cod to um dial in on them. There's so, so many variables, eh? There there is there's there is a lot of variables, but I guess. If you could still only pick one time a day to fish for, for Murray, Murray cod, you know, you'd still be that first light period, you know, when that bait's flicking. Yeah. Um, peak activity in the lake, I guess. It's so. just, yeah. And, and so what do you think from for, for and now? Like people still visit it like crazy because it is Copeton, right? But yeah, and and it doesn't just go for coves, and this is just the example we're talking about. So the same thing will happen to all the other lakes, probably just not as quick. But if the fish are starting to become that wise, is there a point where? Well, it already has happened where the catch rate <laughs> is lower. But is there a point oh, where yeah. it gets that hard, or do you reckon now we've just um, got to put in the time and really think outside the box and just appreciate the one fish for two days kind of thing, or? Is that what well, we'll get I, to? I, I think I think that live sonar technology is going to, you know, like that's going to be a huge advantage. You know, um, I wish I had it last winter, although I had to come because of COVID. I had to bail and get over the border, so I didn't get much of a cod season in last winter. But I think oh, just watching their their behaviour on um, Mega Live or you know or Garmin Livescope, whatever, any of the live imaging, yeah, um, I think that's going to be the game changer until they really cotton onto that sonar. That sonar pinging of that, I'm, I'm pretty sure they got a higher pinging rate, like a louder transducer um, pinging rate than other sanders. You reckon they'll um, hear you know, it? Oh, definitely, mate. Yeah, I, I think they'll cotton on to it. Yeah. You know, like a, a lot of times um, when I'm fishing at Glenny or Copen or whatever, and and you, you know, you do your homework, you'll find your schools of bait, you know, and you can find them any time of day. You know, they'll be sitting at four to six meter mark, usually hugging around the top of a thermocline or something like that. And you can sort of pick your point on your bay where you think they're going to move on to, you know, wind dependent of direction or whatnot. But you don't. I like to turn my sander off now, to be honest, at Copen. Yeah. If if I found a big school of bay and you can sort of predict, um, you know, if if the wind's going to push a little bit of plankton into a certain bay, you know, that's the start of your food chain with your your smaller, you know, your smaller fish will come in and your bonies come in and 
you know, then your cod come in, obviously. Um, I'd, I'd sort of tend to go off a bit of, um, what would you say, um, instinct now. Yeah. Um, at Copeton. I wouldn't generally in, in Glennie, I wouldn't, I don't turn the sounder off, but I, I do reckon they have cotton on to, um, you know, the, the pinging of the sounder on your transducer sound. Mm, um, especially eh? in shallows, mate, in shallows. Like, people, you know, that's not to say you won't get them, mm. you know. Like, I'm sure not not every cod's as smart as the, the next cod, but, you know, like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm a bit, um, bit of a sceptic. Like, I haven't paint the bottom of my electric motor now. Yeah, so I was going to say, I saw, yeah. I saw that, <laughs> yeah. and that was on my list to ask you about. So, while yeah. you're here, you may as well talk about it. What? Why? Yeah. Tell us what happened there. Well, your, your electric motor creates a fair bit of noise. Like, I was in the boat the other day, and I was, just, I was playing around at the boat ramp and stuck my head under the water. You, you stick your head under the water and, and you know, dial your, your electric motor onto three or four, you know, your general sort of setting you when you're just cruising around. It's quite loud, mate. Mm, very. And, and, you, and, you've, and, you, and white's a, an awesome silhouette colour for, for, for fish to see. They love whites. They love blacks. Um, there's certain colours that are a standout to fish, and white's one of them. Yeah, um, it's generally white's probably the best color for barra. That's you know, if you only pick one color, you pick white for barra. Um, so you've got this thing making noise while you're cruising around. And you, I know you're in the big boat. I said the big boat too, but this thing's making an you know an unusual noise to the fish. Yeah, they're going to look at it, and if it's if, if it's white, you know, the, one of their most standout colors. Well, you know, why not paint it? You know, yeah. but maybe, maybe, it, I don't know, I only did it a few days ago, mate. Um, so why did you out, pick blue is my next question. Ah, uh, well, to be honest, because it matches my Hanes. Right, I was going to say, <laughs> it matches, yeah. I and, thought maybe you not, painted it because of the sky, and I was like, wouldn't you be better off matching yeah. the hull of your boat or the... Yes, or yeah. A, yeah, so yeah. my is blue. Yeah. Um, my Hanes, I've got a signature 485 SF, so I, I just, the same colour as a hull, just about, just in a hematone. Yeah. Um, not in a gloss, so I don't know. All the little things count, don't they? Like they do. It, it, it took me all of an hour, so why not give it? It might catch me that one fish, you know, that that one special one, one thirty, you know. Yeah, that's right. Well, um, it's funny you say that because we had a mate who was fishing a whale this year. He actually had a meter cod come up and hit the lecky. So it actually I grabbed it, left teeth marks yeah. on it because it was just sitting there humming. And then yeah. I had a caught it blaring this winter after the sun had come up. He come cruising through, like because it's that clear, he's a meter under the surface, well over a meter, cruised <laughs> under the nose of the boat, like normally yeah. they spook. And I looked out the other side of the boat, and I'm like, where'd he go? And I looked down, and he was sitting vertical, staring at the lecky for a good minute. Sat That's there, crazy. Staring that at is it. crazy. And I stuck yeah. my head over the side and I'm like, he's yeah. looking at it and he full was yeah. eyeballing it and we were drifting yeah. and he was following it and following it and following it and then I dropped my plaquey beside him and he spooked. But And he, <laughs> he didn't want the didn't want the lure on the leg. Yeah, so that, yeah, that, you're like, right. You, I don't know if you've ever chased um Barra before, but you'll see say just say it's been blowing a sail easterly for three or four days, you know, twenty five, thirty Ks. Yeah. You'll sit off these points and under low light, like first thing in the morning or, you know, like just under low light sort of at times, instead of sitting on your lecky, you'll actually, a lot of the time I'll rope, like you actually use the rope off the front of the boat, rope off to a tree, and then you'll cast into that sort of that murky mud line, you know, where the bait and all that will be, and, they, and the baron obviously use that all for cover, but yeah. instead of using the electric motor. So, 
Well, I, I try and use the electric motor as, as little as possible, to be honest. Like, if I can get the wind to push me into a spot, I would. Yeah, well, uh, on top of that, we, like, not this season, just gone the season before, <clears throat> we really honed into this bank at Blaring, right? And this one yep. night, uh, we come in and we actually sat in the spot. It was a 50-meter section of bank. We sat still for nearly two hours just casting. Like, we didn't move because it was glassy. Yeah. And we got four yeah. hits from fish moving back and forth. So, yeah. what I did from then on is I actually brought out a big anchor instead of using the lecky for those nights yeah. that are a little bit windy because it's that yeah. still and calm and quiet. And yeah. they're cruising through. So, they're coming under the boat and then past the boat. And as long as the ripple wasn't making a noise, because that slight little bit of ripple is yeah, just a killer. Definitely, yeah, um, it is. We um, we basically, I just got this big piece of railway iron that I've got sitting yeah. out the back, drilled a hole in it, dropped it straight down, and sat there and <laughs> fan cast because they do. They're not silly fish. Well, well, you would know as well as I do that cod in the impairments are nomadic. You know, they they do not sit under one log for their entire lives and come out and just eat a Peruvian carp or a bony every now and again. No. Like so many times, like on especially you know a, a side scan and oh these live scopes would be even better. But you know I've seen two or three big cod together. Yeah, you know, almost almost pelagic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're if you if a lot of the time, same with Barry, if you're confident in a spot, if you've had a bit of wind, like I like a bit of wind in the afternoon for cod fishing. So I don't generally like to fish in it because it's freezing. Yeah, but. So you've got some wind that's pushed into a bay. So all that top water of the lake, which is your warmest, pushes into a bay. The wind drops off. Um, you go. That bay is generally going to be your warmest the next morning. So that's sort of the one I'll hit. So if I can, if you if you if I'm confident if they're going to travel around a certain point or down an old creek channel or whatever into that bay, a lot of the time, yeah, I just rope onto a tree, mate, and and sort of wait for them to cruise past. Yeah, that's but right. It's it's catch twenty two because in Cape and like I. I 90% of the time, I'm still using the Santa's on, mate, you know, but if I'm really confident the Santa's not on anymore, you know, just just to eliminate that one extra noise. If you can eliminate that sound and noise and your lecky noise, like, you know, in a, in a heavy hit impairment like Cave, then I reckon you're on a winner. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. Now, yeah. move on to, for me, Bass, what would be your dream session and place to chase Bass? Oh. It'd still have to be around, around home, mate. Really? Um, wow, okay. Yeah, is that just yeah. because of the sentimental value? No, it's the best. Oh, the, the Clarence is the best wild bass fishery in Australia. Yeah. Um, by a long way, to be honest. Like, the McClay's got your numbers, no doubt. Like, I've done trips. I remember doing a six-day or seven-day trip down to McClay and getting 400 bass or more. Wow. Um, but there, was, there was only one 50-centimetre fish in amongst that. Yeah. Certain areas of the Clarence um, Clarence system, you know, generally you'll get a fifty. You know, if it's you know, you're sort of your normal sort of trip. It's nothing, nothing um, crazy, but you know, if if you've got a nice little bite happening, you've got a lot more chance of a fifty in the Clarence system than you will in the clay. And what time of year would be the pick? Um, probably now, and I'm up here. Um, <laughs> Probably, yeah, I do like, so you can't, the Mandian board is closed till the 1st of November, but I do like the middle and upper reaches of the Clarence this time of year before, it, it does get quite warm up there and water will tick over that 30 degree mark, especially right. in the summer, unless we get steady rain. You get steady rain, you're right, it'll push that warm water through, but yeah. that warm up period in the um, in the Clarence River is, mate, there, it's, you know, a lot of them fish haven't spawned for some time, they're still, they're, 
they're still reabsorbed the road. They they you know fat as mud. Yeah. They go like all hell, mate. Like they they are big fat bass. Like they um they give an impairment fish out of Somerset a run for their money. Honestly, That's for cool. so, for the for the for sheer condition. Um, once that Manly Boyder opens up, there's nothing beats two or three night trip running down one of them rivers. They're very remote. Um, you know, you don't a lot of the time you won't see anyone depending on if you get into one of the more remote areas. So. What's your go-to um, lure that you'd throw at? The, I know there'd be stacks and stacks and stacks, but if there's one way you could catch them and they were chewing that way, is it top water um, or no? Yes. Yeah. Yep. It, it would be. It would have to be a dog walker of some description, and mostly because they because you can skip them. Yep. Um, and they are so accurate to cast. So like, it, one of the best ways to catch bass. And it sounds crazy, but is in the middle of the day. You've got heavy, you've got all them little shade pockets under the bottle brush and, you know, all your bankside vegetation. If you can punch punch like, a, like as I say, dog walk, which is one of the most accurate lures you can cast, you can punch that within a few centimetres under that bank yeah. um, where then big girls retreat to during the middle of the day. They might not be in full feed mode, but you might just um, irritate one in the, in the buff and that lure. And plus you can work them so slow out of cover. Yeah. You know, you just twitch, twitch, pause, twitch, twitch. Unlike with a spinner bait and that, like, yeah, you can bounce them, you can crank and pause them, but you can really leave a, a dog walker in that strike zone for, like, a long time. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So go to go to Barra for me. So one dream place session type of lure time of year for Barra. Dream place. Lately, I've been getting heaps of messages from you guys out there on different techniques and different styles and how do I, what lure is the best for trout? All these different technique questions. And I've been getting those questions for quite a long time. And that is why I created the free freshwater mini series. Now, this mini series gives you the fundamentals for chasing Murray cod, golden perch, and trout with lures. I run through the gear, the basic overview of the gear, the lures, the different techniques, and it's a completely free series. Totally free. You can jump on and watch it now. You stream it through the social fishing website. It's an incredible series and it goes for a couple of hours and it has four different parts. All those four parts cover those three species, plus there's a bunch of action in there on all three. So if you just want some entertainment and education at the same time, make sure you check out the free Freshwater Mini Series. If Just jump on Google, search Freshwater Mini Series Social Fishing, or just jump onto the Social Fishing website and you will find it there. So if you're after more entertainment, more education, jump on and check out the Freshwater Mini Series. Like, if you could only fish for Barra in this one spot, like, if you could only do it, one more trip for yeah, the rest still, of your life from still Barra. Still Proserpine. Still Proserpine. Um, Proserpine's going through a bit of a, a transition period with the fish at the moment. Um, so you've got a lot of older fish sort of dying out, I guess you'd say. That's yep. what's happening. Sometimes you can go out to Proserpine and you'll see 20-odd floaters and they're old, skinny, you know, they they're twenty. They only you only get twenty years out of a out of Barra and they're, they're Gornski. So, right, they just can't. Um, and we've got a lot of like I went out yesterday morning and got a one hundred two. He was fat as mud, you know. And yeah. so he's he's probably around that eight year old sort of mark, and he, he's fighting fit. And but the thing thing with Proserpine, which puts it above everything else, is the visual side of it. Right. So so many times. You'll you'll see you'll see a barra tailing. Let's so say that means his head's down. Like if 
Farrah don't, you know, fish don't have eyelids and their and their pupils can't dilate, so they don't want to be looking straight at the sun, obviously. So a lot of the time, a lot of people say it's like, you know, because of digestion or feeding during that day or whatever, but they'll tail in the weed, face down, eyes out of the sun, and, you, and they can do that for hours on end, and all of a sudden you get a tide change or, you know, moon overhead, change of wind direction and whatnot, and all of a sudden that fish shot, he'll go on his side and he'll start swimming. A lot of the time you can place a lure in front of him and watch him eat it. Like it's, I don't know many fisheries where you can do that. So um, is it really clear or they're just really n- shallow? No, so at the moment we've had um, two wet seasons of being fizzers. So there's a, there's high algae um, content in the lake at the moment. Um, so it actually looks a little bit skanky, the water at the moment. And plus we, we need a little bit of wind on it. With um, These nor'easters have been blowing for two weeks now and it's, it's over 30 degrees now, which is crazy for this time of year. But um, you'll see when we get a bit of inflow, um, you get a good wet, the water's... It's pretty good. It's never going to be as clear as like Timber, which has got, you know, it's higher altitude. I think it's 400 metres above sea level. So I probably wouldn't be that much, but it's a lot higher than, Prossy is almost sea level. Yeah. So them, them lakes that are a little bit higher, they, they tend to be a lot clearer. Um, so no, it's, it's just, it, no, I wouldn't say it's a clear water lake, but it's very visual. Like you, you'll see a lot of the fish cruising the weed or, and you do generally scan a lot more fish on your sounder as well in, in um, Proserpine, a lot more so cruise and barrel. That'd be your go-to spot because it, of the clarity yeah, yeah. aspect? Because yeah. of, just because you, you because see that a lot of the fish before you catch them. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just a cool lake. It's just so diverse. Like you've got all your, your old creek and river channels, which are all good, but even the main basin, like when you can nut out a few little spots there on certain winds and that, and it's pretty awesome fishing in there. Like Average fish in, in Peter Force Dam now is like, it'd have to be 95 centimetres. That's you know? awesome. Yeah, you know, like, it's, it's nothing to go there and catch a couple of metres in the morning. So um, is it a popular spot? Does it get well, a fair bit of fishing from people or that, is it, can it handle it? Well, Lawonga and um, Mondrian are really hit their straps now with regular metre meter catch, catches, so that's going to take a heap of heat off um, Lake Proserpine. Yeah. Um. It's it's a huge lake, mate. Honestly, it's, there's so much timber and r- river and creek channels and d- certain bays. Like, there's pretty much always somewhere to go. Um. It's not like Copeland where you know, oh, you know, it's 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 blown a you know a slight easterly the day before, and you know there's a few little bays and, and points that are going to fish really good, and you you go there at four o'clock in the morning. There's five boats on it. Yeah. It's, right. It's, it's, it's not, not like, that. like that. No. The only place in Proserpine like that is um Force Point, which is, runs off off the eastern side of the old river channel. It's a big diverse weed bed that comes right out and that's a really popular spot, but it's you can fit eight boats on that. Right. You know? And as you know, Barra and Nomadic, they cruise like you're not you know you're you're fishing travel you're fishing for travelling fish, you know, fish on the move on the hunt. Yeah. So yeah, it's um nah, it's, it's an awesome spot. I love, I love it. I love Timber too. I've got a little bit of a soft spot for that now because it's such a pretty lake of your lily pad edges and um but and the fish in there are fat. They are very well conditioned fish in Timbra. That's cool. But, you've got you've got and the, would they be your three top species? I didn't even ask you. I just hit you with cod, yeah, bass, um, but they'd have bat, to, be, wouldn't they? Well, yeah. Well, oh, bass, bass, barra, and cod. Um, love me Saratoga and jungle perch too. Yeah. Um, and before COVID hit, I'd spend um a couple of months a year over in New Zealand in the South Island. Yep. Um, chasing them, like them trout, they are um, they're pretty pretty awesome over there in NZ. You know, you can you can hike a, half a k off the side of a road and and you're catching ten pound 
brown or rainbow trout's pretty, yeah. pretty phenomenal. Different world over here. Yeah, it is, and it's, you know, in Australia, if you're fishing, you know, if you're fi- fishing off a bank somewhere for bass or something and a cocky comes down, he's generally telling you to nick off. Mm. Um, in New Zealand, they come and say g'day and ask how you're going. Really? Yeah, yeah. They, they're really, um, it's a different, it's a different world over there. You know, it's um, it's pretty free range. You you get that fishing license, and you're um, you pretty much can go ninety percent of the places as long as you're willing to walk. And there's so many, there's a, there's ten rivers every ten kilometers. It's it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. That's to, insane. Yes, and they're not hard to catch. They are not hard to catch at all. Them big trout over there. That's cool. It's good talking to you. It gives you an aspect of so many different styles of fishing that you can do, eh? When you sort of you get stuck on one, and you're like, "There's so many yeah. more out there." So, yeah. what would be your favourite species and why? I know it's a really hard question, but that is hard. That's super hard. I know um, there's so many good things about all those three, or more than just three, but those three in particular. But is, could you pick one? Yeah, Australian bass, mate. Australian bass. Because um, while, where it started or it's still... Because it's just so awesome to... You, you get a 70-litre dry drum, you throw a sleeping bag in a, a hammock, um, a little bit of food, a couple of cold beers for later on, and, you and you you know, you know canoe one or two nights down the river, big rapids, wildlife, big big bass, you know, like, you know, for, yeah, a lot of the fish in there sort of average around that 44-centimetre mark, which is pretty... That's a good average for a wild fish. Yeah. Um, and I just, I love the... Um, it's more of the adventure, the whole package. Yeah. And it's more, I don't want to bloody annoying. I don't want to mm. tread on anyone's toes. It's more, um, it's more skill involved with your casting as well. I love, like, I love skip casting and flipping and pitching. And um, I like, you know, casting right in tight under the banks. And a lot of the times with your barrow and cod fishing, you don't, you know, if you're, you're casting for cruising fish, you know, or schooled fish, and you yeah. don't have to put it a centimetre from a snag or, you know, sometimes you do. Like a lot of the times, like fishing treetops for barra, um, you know, you've got to cast in between two sticks, bring your lure through it, you know, because a lot of the times a barra will sit there. But basses, I just love the accuracy side of your casting as well. Um, yeah, it's good fun, you know. You, you prop a, a dog walker or a bent minnow or something like that, you know, an inch off the bank and <laughs> and it's so visual too, you know, watching the take and and we all know how good bass go, you know, and I especially guess, them wild fish. And I guess a thing that you would you'd be comfortable with as well is with all these advancements in technology and whatever, that style of fishing will stay. That's that exactly style right. Of it's all it it's um, it puts it down to angler skill, doesn't it? You know, it's it's not um you know, like um I I'm not having a Definitely not having a dig at anyone with live scope and all that because mate, I, I, BLA they're um they're sending me some mega you know mega live in the next month or so hopefully so you know yeah. I'll be on that same bandwagon as well so I'm not a hypocrite but you you just look at people with live imaging now just sort of leaps and bounds in front of a lot of people that don't have it yeah um and it just shows how how good it is I guess you'd say um how important it is like with them all the yellow comps and the cod comps and you know, I don't think you could really compete, you know, in a lot of them now if you didn't have it. Not in the impen- – no, it's hard, isn't it? You know, I heard – I don't know how true it is. There was a comp down in Mulwalla and they said midway through it, um, you're not allowed to use live imaging. I don't know if was that's there? true or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah like, no, as I say, that's just – it could be just a rumour. But that's how – if that is true, that just shows how effective it is, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, well, and, I've got I've got the, the low gear and I've been – I used it this winter and it's just yeah. crazy. 
Yeah, yeah, well done. It, it looks pretty good too, the Lawrence. It all looks good, the Garmin, the mm. Lawrence and the Hummingbird. I just, I, I like Hummingbird because I, I've always had Hummingbird. But yeah, yeah. They're, they're all pretty good, you know, like, and, and especially with Barra, like, I can't wait to get my hands on it because it's going to be, oh, Barras do swim and, you know, they cover a lot more area than cod and, and you know, bass and stuff. Like, they do cruise, they're highly nomadic, especially main basin fish that just cruise constantly sort of thing until, unless, you know, digesting, you know, after a meal or something in the weed, but, they cover a lot of area. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to see a school of you know twenty plus barra come past and and just sit on them in you know in forward scout mode or whatever they call it and and just you watch the way that re- so much. Yeah, yeah, and see with I, I've got um I've got a Solix twelve um at the moment and I'm just running tradition you know your side scan side imaging. Yep. I can't see. I see the fish and it's gone. You know what I yep. mean? And um I don't see how they re- all the way. All I can see is what way they're going what way they've come from i can't you know i can't um i can't stay on them and see how they reacted to that bent minnow or that you know that lipless crank or it's it's still a gamble but it's as you crazy. say bass bass fish like a, a good bass fisherman like they'll catch big bass in the middle of the day when a lot of like you'll see a lot of people that don't do much bass fishing but they'll get some honkers at night when then big bass are out on the hunt on the prowl yeah you know, on your tops and tails of rapids stuff like that but if you if you can pinpoint your lures consistently under under branches hard on the bank, like you, you get some big bass in the middle of the day, just because you know that's where they are, sort of thing, you know. Yeah, and that's why, and that, so it's the whole package as to it why is. you enjoy yeah. that bass. Stuff. I do, yeah, I love so them. Cool. I love. I'm a loner. You probably gather that I don't really fish with it. <laughs> if you go for anything Facebook, and that's just me and my dog usually. Yeah. Um, I like my own company. I own a caravan park, so I I generally like to get away from people. To be quite honest. Because um, back at home, there's plenty of people I have to talk to. Not much privacy when you're in a caravan park, mate, and live on site. So yeah, as I do like getting in that canoe and and heading off for a few days, and um, that's awesome. Yeah, no, if if it is, like, I've taken a lot of you know, like me good. I'm good mates with Al McGlash, and he's a mad, you know, you probably know Al, he's mad marlin, and and he's been fishing since bloody Adam was a boy, you know. But you know, he comes bass fishing with me, he loves it. It's just, it's he it just, you know, there's a whole the camping. You know, we shoot some big rapids. It's just, yeah. it's like just a cool. I'll never grow tired of it. That's awesome. I do yeah. a bit of that out of a rubber boat for cod down this way, which mm-hmm. would be the equivalent of your trips that you yeah. do like that, which is so. Oh. Cool. So, the, talk us through the um the the canoe. Is it a canoe you do you have? Yeah. Talk us so, through the setup. So, why a canoe? How have you got it set up? Well, I've um, got I've got several sort of boats I've got that I take now. Um, so. If I'm going to take, if, if it's a reasonably flat water trip, I usually, it's an old, it's called an old town guide. Oh, I think it's a 176, so it's a 17 footer, 17 and a half footer. Yeah. Um, and if it's most of like that upper clearance, mid clearance sort of stuff, most of your rapids are under grade two sort of stuff, which for people that don't know, it's, it's you know, they're the chicken rapids sort of thing. What's a um, high grade? What number? Uh, five. Five. five, right, and so, do they go one to five? Like one's nothing. One, one's a pebble race, pretty much. Right, okay. So, um, so the Nimboida's got grade fives on it, which you cannot, you wouldn't paddle them in a Canadian. You just would not, mate. You're just full of water. You lose all your gear. Yeah. Um, a lot of that stuff I rope the canoe, so I um, strap the rods in. Everything floats or it's locked. It's tied down, yep. and uh, you'll, you'll actually shoot your canoe o- over the top of the rapid. Really. Um, yeah, and drop it down into the pool below, or 
Worst case scenario, you've actually got to drag it over the boulders and, and yeah, it can be, it's hard yakka, but it's yeah, an adventure. It's an adventure. You get a chance to fish going through all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. If you get on, um, there's a few, I don't do, the, don't do YouTube, it doesn't really interest me, but I've done a, a bit of stuff with modern fishing and a couple of telly shows and that, and where they, we did stuff down the man and the boiler and some big rapids and, um, I'm pretty sure if you Google modern fishing TV and uh, Al McGlash fishing with mates, there's, there's, we've done a lot of that stuff and it'll show them rapids and it show Al come and guts her a few times and I come and guts her a few times and yeah, but yeah it's cool. it's full um bare knuckle stuff. I you know it's it's great. I love it. That's but, so um, good. So back to the canoes, like you asked. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so, yeah, so with your flatter water, like your you know your clearance sort of stuff. So open Canadian. Um, like it's a 17 footer, you can put heaps of you can really, you know, you can even take a little chair to sit on at night around the fire, it's pretty cool. Um, then when I do the man nimboida stuff, I sort of go more towards a bush ranger or a wobby gong, which is about a 15 footer, but they've got an enclosed nose and back, so the bow and, and the stern, like they, they're enclosed, so they're covered over, so and it's got like a bit of a splash deck sort of thing, so it's still a, a canoe, of, still a Canadian canoe, yeah. Um, I can't. You can't really fit as much in it, which is. But the less gear you have in it, the better it's going to paddle anyway. So yeah, I, ge- I generally only have a seventy litre dry drum. I put that where the fr- person in the front usually sits. Mm-hmm. Um, whack a strap over it. I've got a little little esky there with something for dinner and a couple of beers by the fire. Um, and your fishing gear, which I, I put behind the seat with me fry pan and and all. but you can shoot. You you generally you're still not going to be doing them grade fours. You yep. can. I have done them in the past. But generally, fifty percent of the time, I get spat out, and I'm and you're chasing your gear down the river, and it's just, it's not, you know, I'm I'm forty one now. It's not. Like, <laughs> I'm getting a bit. I'm getting a bit of sense in your head, but um, grade three sort of pulls it up, and that's still a big rapid, like a, a grade three. You know, you could have a two meter drop with, um, a fair, yeah, fair few um big boulders in the way on your as you know as you head down river, and it's a big rapid, a grade three even. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but. The main canoe I use now is just it's a little old town guide, um, and it's it's only twenty three kilos or something, and I, I just put a little drum in the back and away I go for a night or two or just a day trip even. Yeah. So, so that's probably so my favourite. You can fit enough gear in those for what do you? What's a normal session? Two night? Well, like what's an average two night well, trip? Or? Now, now before I lived at Jukadjuri, before we um, bought the park, I would um, do two or three nights, pretty much. It would be a, a, um, a Saturday and a Sunday night if I could swindle. When I was in the drilling game, I could always sort of swindle the Monday off sort of thing. Yeah. But um, now, I, most, most of the things, a lot of the stuff I do now is just day trips because I know day a lot trip. of the property owners and yeah. Um, I could sort of ask the missus or the manager, they can drop me off somewhere and then I can leave one of the cars, at, you know, where I can pull out 20Ks down river or whatever. Yeah, um, Most of the stuff now is only one night, but... For my birthday, my wife just bought me a um, an alpaca inflatable raft, a pack raft. Cool. So yeah, when I get home in about four weeks, once this builder sorted this house out for me, we um, I'm going to do some some real pretty awesome headwater stuff. Get into that real tiger country. So I'm yeah, no, nice. that sounds that. like fun. <laughs> yeah, I just need a friend with a, another pack raft because, because I. I I don't really want to go in there on my own. It's, um, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are they? They're inflatable rafts that can yeah. handle. So you can throw it in your in your backpack, so your hiking pack. So I've got a oh, 70 right. litre. Yeah, so I do a fair bit of hiking too. So you can you, that'll fit in your hiking pack. You get to the, yep. you hike down to the river, however many k's it is, yep. and uh, inflate your raft. 
and before while you before you're in float it's got a zipper at the back you can throw your sleeping bag and your clothes and all that stuff actually inside the raft yeah inflate your raft off you go down the river fishing nice yeah yep That's and you can cool. you can get anywhere now with that with that thing i've wanted one for a while they're not cheap but um the trips i've got in mind for this thing i'm yeah i'm i'm Pump day. Oregon, that's the pinnacle of fishing, eh? Is it is. River. Yeah. Drifting for a night or two. We do it out of these inflatable boats we built decks for so we can drive with a lecky and fish for cod properly. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Nah, it's awesome fun. Great yeah. fun. They're trips that you like. You remember. I, oh, you do. Totally. Like, I remember doing trips when I was 19, 20, when I, even cod trips out in the Demeric River and the Severn and. Um, and we didn't get big cod, like a 90 was a big cod. Yeah, but, yeah. but we, we used to do four or five nights, going 100 k's of river, you know, and just and, and you'd just meet someone at the pub, like the, the Codfish Hotel, and, and trust them with your car and say, oh, I'll give you 100 bucks if you can pick us up five days later, <laughs> you know. And it was, it was part of the adventure too. Like some yeah. random guy you don't know, and you're using keys, mate, please pick us up. That's um, good, and and just catching like nice, you know, river cod the ninety cent camping on the river bank. Uh, I love bar- I love barra fishing, but there's so many tricks that I don't really remember. I, I generally go out in the morning, you know, I leave home at four o'clock and I fish till, depending on the bite, you know. But generally, I'm home by lunchtime. Yeah, and I love it. I you know I have a ball. I remember all the epic bites and and good big fish and stuff, but. So many trips I don't remember because it's sort of they all after a while they do sort of blend into into one. But yeah, a, a trip down a remote river catching beautiful wild fish. It's um, as you say, it is a pinnacle. I reckon that's awesome. Um, I've got one question because we'll pull it up soon because I know you're gonna have dinner or did you miss out? <laughs> no, they're not doing. They're not doing it now. They're they not doing dinner. <laughs> no, they had a late <laughs> pub lunch. So oh, that's yeah. funny. So no dinner tonight. But I've got a couple more questions to finish yeah, up at the right. end. But before we get to them, can you just run me through your camera setup? Because a lot of people fish solo um, yep. and can't or don't know the gear or how to get a good photo. And you yep. definitely get a cracker photo on your own. So run us through what you use, how you do your Right, Reese. Well, firstly, you have to be prepared to catch less fish, to yes. be honest. So as you know at Cape, then... You can catch a big cod, and generally, a lot of the time, especially when that bait's all there, you'll get another cod soon after. Yeah. Um, I miss out on that because I, if I get a, a metre barra or a metre cod, I fill the live well, I put them in the live well. You've got to put your tripod together, external flash, external timer. Yeah, so what have you got? You've got... Yeah, so I've, got, so I've got, got a Canon 5D uh, Mark yeah. III, um, digital, obviously. Yeah. Um, 16-35mm lens which is good for your close-up stuff. It's no good for shooting birds in trees and that, but we're not here to do that. <laughs> um, and I just run it on a, on a tripod and I put it in one of those Plano um, waterproof cases. Yep, and then um, you've got take, a flash on it. Yeah, external flash, external timer. Um, you can also get a hand remote as well. You yep. can you can set the camera to take uh, like two-second, ten-second interval photos, but a lot of the times I won't be in focus. So that's yeah. the idea is with the remote camera put it on auto um if i'm shooting someone else's fish you can shoot in manual mode you know you can do your aperture and your shutter speed and all the rest of it but if you're on your own you, you've got enough going on you shoot in auto mode <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know um get your fish out of the live well yeah Pr- um, press the trigger so what do you 10. do so you pull the so you so i get me i get me so that's like i've got a meter cod got me meter cod i've got him in the net 
So yep. first, first thing first, you put your foot on the net. So on the pole of that, so the fish is still in the water, still got the lure in its mouth, keep the environet in the water. So like, I always like to get let the fish get their breath back. I wouldn't like to run a marathon and then be pulled out of the water and yep. um, unhooked and, you know. So I, I just generally just like to do that at least while I get the camera box out of the out of the hatch and the the um the tripod and everything else. So, but when um, you go once it's set up, when you go to take the photo, you're you don't have a remote, so you've got a timer. So do you yes. have to? So do you pull the? So do you have to? So the fish. The, so by the time once I get all that stuff out, I haven't put it all together. Obviously, I bring yeah. the fish in, I unhook him. That's why I never, I've rarely ever got a photo with a lure in its mouth. Yep. Because I've got to get the lure out so I can put him in the live well. I'm not yep. going to leave him flapping on the deck. So he goes in the live well. He's he's happy in there with some aerated water. Then I get the get your tripods, put your camera on, external timer, external flash. Um, I've got the timer already set. The camera's already right. on auto, and it takes two-second photos. So I've got it set for taking a photo every two seconds. And do you press it and let it yes. go and then so, go back and get your fish? So before, no, so before I get my fish out, I'll press yeah. um, take photo or whatever the button is on the um, external remote, which is the Canon external remote, yeah. and it's already taking photos. Yeah, right. It's already taking photos, and then I get the fish out of the live well, get in position, and I'll get and I always get at least ten photos, and that so sounds how like do a you lot. Know but how you're framing it is the the, the so the that's biggest that's thing. that's the hardest. Well, see, it's on auto and it's a good camera, so you know if you take ten photos, one of them's going to be good. Yeah, Generally. and you kind of know that where the camera's sitting on the certain yes. mill lens, how so, close you need to hold the fish so that you don't cut yes. the tail off. Yeah, totally. So it's it's a sixteen thirty five mil lens. It's pretty so wide. So it's not it's wide, but it's not like like GoPro's fish eye. Um, yeah, yeah. And but I, for a I, I, camera, a full frame camera on a sixteen mil lens is pretty wide. Yeah, definitely. So you can be you know, a meter and a half from the lens. Yeah, and you and you know you've got everything in frame. Yeah, hundred percent takes photos. So, you were talking about some cameras you can set an internal timer. You're saying the way to get it, it to focus is you have this external timer which yeah. allows so, you to focus and take yeah. every two well, seconds. It, it, it can do it without the timer, but a lot of your photos will be out of focus because it doesn't because focus it, because it's focused on something else like your electric motor or something. And then I've jumped yeah. in the frame with a big cod, and then it's like, oh, hang, I'm not happy with that. Yeah, and a lot of them are blurry, so it's just it takes two seconds to to um, put the external timer in. And, and what does the external timer allow? It allows it to focus every time it takes yes, a photo. Yeah, it does. Yeah, right. So and and it takes so if I take ten or twelve photos at two second intervals, like the fish is out of the water for twenty two seconds, you know, yeah. twenty four seconds. Um, and I and I won't lie. Before I let him go, I quickly press the press the play button. Yeah. And go and click, 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 and I'll say, yep, in focus, in focus, yep, everything, yep. See, and put him in the water and, you know, I yep. like to spend a couple of minutes with him, to be honest, before. With Cod, Barra, I like to spear him back in the water. They yep. take that, that big breath of, breath of air, before, you know, as they go in. But Cod, I like to, you know, just just draw grip him in the water and admire him for a little while before yeah, I let him go. Yeah, how good Like it Sometimes it takes me two days to catch the bugger. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you certainly don't get them in numbers like you do impoundment, Barra, that's for sure. Yeah. But so, I used to run a GoPro because I'm on my own all the time, but I just find the photos are rubbish with the, the fish eye sort of blows everything out. Yeah, yeah. Um, makes your fish look gigantic, but um, it just makes everything look round and like your rod will be bent in the image. And I just, um, yeah, that's, it sounds like a pain in the ass, this camera, but to be, once you get it in, down, once you, if you've got a decent live well in your boat to put your fish in, 
it's, you get sort of you get used to it, mate. It's not yeah. that, not that bad. But well, I did I, exact same thing when I'm on my own. I'm usually got someone with me, but I even uh-huh. film on my own as well, which is a similar process. So I was just curious to yeah. see how you did yours and the five D. Yeah. Like you've got yourself as good a camera you could get. Like it's yeah. a cracking camera. And for people who aren't into their photography, they'd never go and spend that much on a camera. But um, if you're keen on taking the good photos, you know you've got the gear for it. Yeah. So. Well, that but that does like a lot of the time. Like if I get a ninety centimeter cut, I don't really photograph them because of that camera. That's that it does have its downfall. So, like for a ninety, it's a beautiful fish in a river. I would take a photo of it, no doubt. But in the dam, I, I don't. Like it's just, I just, oh, just you know, maybe a bit lazy on my behalf. I just couldn't be bothered throwing him in the live well, setting everything up. I'd rather have a crack at maybe the next cast as a metery on that bite time. Yeah. And, and the same goes with the barra, you know. And that, as I say, it's the only thing I miss about the GoPro. I used to have it mounted to the console and I'd just press um, take photo, I think it was um, time lapse or whatever. And, you know, you get 20 photos in 20 seconds and it's back in the water and you're fishing again. Well, it's, it's yeah. just it's not the case with this. But the photo, I reckon the photos make up for it. So Yeah, they're awesome. I love a good yeah. photo. Yeah. Cool, mate. Thanks for the chat. It's been good. I could have talked to you for another three or four hours. We like just scratch the surface of some of the stuff. Yes, we could have oh, you could talk talk fishing for days, mate. Ages and ages and yeah, ages. Definitely. So, is it all right? I got two more. Is that all right? No, no, mate. I'm not in a hurry. All good. So, two more. Um, the last one's kind of like a summary question. Just one yep. thing that triggered me through it through the through the chat that I wanted to come back to was. From your personal experience, because I know everyone else has their own opinion when it comes to moon phases. Yep. And it's a very misunderstood thing or something that has very little research behind it and a lot of it is opinion. Yep. But do you think, apart from the light, so apart from the light that the moon sheds, do you think it has an impact on them? So, talk about your experience and do you believe yep. the moon makes a difference to the fish feeding more in regards to daytime moon or moon sizes in yeah, the, yeah. separate to full moon in the dark or a new moon because that's obvious light but when yeah. there's no light well, what's your thoughts well do you you know you get that gravitational pull from the moon um i think i reckon my, my personal my personal belief is the moon makes a huge difference if everything else lines up um, so if, if you've got a little, you know, if you've got a nice, um, you know, reasonably high barometer, yeah. um, you know, you like with Barra, you don't want to, you don't want a westerly wind, like a, a heavy west, like a southwesterly wind. You can have a southwesterly wind on a full moon and you will catch diddly squat with Barra fishing. Yeah. Um, they just don't like it. Um, I think, I, yeah, I do. I, I definitely will fish by the moon. Like the lead up to the full when bass fishing, um, would always be my pick. Um, and same with cod fishing, um, but in saying that, I don't know. I, I wouldn't religiously fish by the moon. I think. Yeah. I think you got so many other aspects like that are wind more important, and, and maybe. Barometer. Like, do you, uh, yes, yes, like yeah, I do. Yeah, I temp- think they are more important. Yeah, yeah like, like temperature so, for that time of year yep. or the week temperature leading up to it, the weather. Yep. Um, barometer. Yep. And, yeah, and, and is that your opinion for all those three species, cod, barometer? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, like they're um. I don't think bass are as um, predictable by moon phase as barra are. I think barra are more like they breed by the moon. You right. know, so they'll spawn on a on a really big tide on the full moon or the new moon. Or, yeah. um, but I think barra are very sensitive to moon phase. But I, I still think um, 
just say you're fishing early September at Lake Proserpine and the water's 23 degrees and, you, and you're in the lead up to the full moon, which is your best time, um, and then all of a sudden it starts blowing a southwester and drops the temperature to 18 and a half degrees, forget it. Yeah, you know, right. it, it doesn't doesn't matter that it's going to be a full moon. Yeah. You know, I used to, when we first started coming up here, I would go out every single day fishing and it didn't matter what, what the wind was doing, <laughs> what the pressure was doing. And now like, I won't fish for three or four days. I'm like, nah, because I know it's just a waste of time going. Well, it's See? funny because we were going to do this podcast last night and in the morning you're like, oh, can we do it tomorrow because I'm going fishing? And you're like, yeah, you go, the wind changed. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. And uh, I wouldn't have got diddly squat. So, yeah. but to, and tomorrow even's not looking overly good. And, and we're in a, a very ordinary moon phase at the moment with Barra, but we've got a little bit of a spike in the in the barometer um, and the winds, we've had a nor'easter blowing for ages and we've got to change the wind direction tomorrow. I just think, oh, you might just get that bite, you know, that, that first light bite till, you know, 8.30. I think we had a low tide at um, 8.30. So, as you know, like the barrel will still bite on tides in the lakes. Yeah. Um, like so low, how does that I, work? So <laughs> explain, <laughs> yeah. explain that. That's what I was about to ask you is, you know how you just said the barra spawn on the moon? Yeah. Um, I don't know a whole heap about barra, especially that sort of end of it. So... They spawn. Do they still spawn in the impoundments, or no, they don't. No, they don't. No. Right. So, so well, how do they? Much, much the same as bass, but they yeah. still they still feel the effect of the moon. They do. Um. Yeah. Definitely. Like some of the still some of the best bites I've ever had barra fishing has been around a big moon, or you'll get a really good daytime bite on a new moon, like an early morning bite. Sometimes you get another bite, you know, around the tide change or around that. So for some reason, around that two o'clock is pretty good. Um. Another funny one, like I find between 8 and 9 o'clock um, up this way is another really good bite time. When you see a lot of people going back to the ramp, I'm like, oh, don't go back to the ramp because we'll get another bite around that 9 o'clock. And I haven't I haven't put my thumb on it yet, but I, I think that's when your peak barometric pressure is for the day up this way in the, in the tropics. Right, okay. Don't, not 100%, I, that's all I can put it to. I don't have any, yeah. you know, I, in, in springtime, early spring, I used to think, oh, you know, that's, when the water's just first starting to warm that couple of, you know, half degree sort of thing, maybe that's why they do it, but I get them do it in, in summer. So you can't put me thumb on that one, Reese. but, I, mm. you know, around that 9 o'clock, I, I think that is when you get that little spike in pressure, only, only by a little minute amount, but sometimes that's all it, it takes to get them to, to have a chew. So um, with that moon, you know how you just said that they, they bite on the tide changes even though yep. there's no tide, right? Yeah, So. Yep. Is that okay? So my theory is, the ones in the salt will bite because there's the tide change means movement of water, yep. movement of food. So if it happens in the impoundments, mm-hmm. how does that? This is just opinion, right? Yeah, this yep. is just us talking. Yep. How does to the barrel? What? Why? Do you reckon it's an instinct that it goes? Is. Oh, yeah, I need they to feed, know. even they, though the yeah. conditions, well, even though the conditions haven't changed, and the moon means nothing for yeah. the change of feeding yeah. in terms of bait or the fact that they can get away from you. You reckon it's just the barra, as a natural instinct, goes. I need to yeah, eat. Pretty much. Mm. Um, I, I interesting. I've, I've got plenty of, uh, you know, I'm in bed thinking about lots of things at night, but I can't totally pinpoint it like they they always a lot of people say that, that fish barren in, in creeks and rivers like they like it around that that last of the run out first of the run in tide um i do find in the lakes that they i always prefer a low tide over a high tide 
Um, yeah. I've just generally just done better on that. Um, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is, mate. Sometimes it's you won't get that. Yeah. Sometimes you won't get that bite on the low tide, but so many times you do. Like it's as good as a sunrise. You know, mm-hmm. like everyone likes that that first sunrise. You know, when the when the bait's flicking and you know, like you know, you know, with your cod impairments and stuff like that, your bonies or your um, corrosion carps or whatever whatever bait you got in there, they'll they'll be active and flicking. You know, and generally you're thinking, oh, you know, here we go, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, you get a low tide, you'll see so much, and they and you know, and the fish are happy and they they're active. You'll see so much activity on your sounder, and that's when I sort of go back to that camera scenario. Um, like the bike can only be five minutes. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I would have caught two, maybe even three barra, but by the time I've done my photos and 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 let go that that other fish, that's gone. Yeah, I've missed it. Yeah. Um, and that's why, yeah, what. I'm not a fish knob like as oh that's only ninety centimeters that's not worth a photo but it's not worth a photo if you could get um, a meter ten if you could yeah you know the next one might be on that in that short little bite window on that low tide or your first or last light or yeah. you know moon underfoot moon overhead what or you know wind well, wind change is a huge factor too with with barra you know it's a funny it can be, thing with fishing it's like there are so many variables and there are so many scientific studies on all these other things going on in the world but fishing is something that will always have that much unknown and yep especially moon moon's the one i still i seem to ask a lot of people in podcasts i seem to talk about it a lot and it's one i still when it comes to cod especially i still can't wrap my head around how and i come to believe that people believe that that's a better bite period because they end up fishing that more often than that, any other time. Well, that's exactly right. I, was, I, was, I went out um, night of the full moon with my wife out to Timbra, and the conditions weren't real good at all. Though. So there was a lot of instability in the atmosphere, like a lot of storms rolling through and that. And I know if you can get on, on the front of that storm when that you get that, that quick drop in pressure, you'll get a bite. Well, we weren't getting that. And then after the storm's always a bit of a struggle. I always find that with bass and everything else. like It's always a struggle after the storm. Because yeah. if they have fed, they fed on the lead, lead up to the storm, and they're done. And right. especially, especially Barra, like they 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 do eat a lot, but they got plenty of opportunities to eat, especially in a lake with that much tucker swimming around them. So they can pick and choose. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I, I wasn't all that confident that we we're going to do all that good, you know. And but but the peak, but you know, you would know yourself being a cod fisherman, like your peak. Um, time to go cod fishing like if you could if you could pinpoint it would be the lead up to the full moon coming from a low pressure to a high pressure yeah you know with with little wind um what else, you know i reckon that would be your pinnacle wouldn't it like mm. you've got a moving pressure system and it's on the rise yeah you, you're on the lead up to the full moon it doesn't get much better i, I know that the new moon used to fish really good um, on the on the new moon, used to fish really good. Sorry for surface back in the you know the 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 teens of the two thousand um, you know two thousand sixteen onwards. Yeah, that's used, right. Used to be really good on the new moon, but you know then they stopped eating surface lures. Well, well, they didn't eat them as much anyway. Yeah, but so what's so keep going with that story. Uh, which one? Sorry, mate. You were talking about you were out on the dam one night with the wife. And then people start believing, you know. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got let, I got You're telling me a story. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're uh, right. So we full moon with Barra, and we all go, oh shit, you know, full moon. They're gonna go off. They're gonna go crazy. Well, you've got you've got fifty boats on the lake on the full moon. So and then then you just say you've got an a, you know an ordinary 
ordinary moon phase, you know, and then you've got five boats on the lake. Yeah. Like your, your, your chances of, of seeing Meter Barra on social media around the full moon phase are increased dramatically, aren't they? Because there's so many more boats on the water. That's right. Which increases the chances of people, you know, putting up brag shots on socials of their meteries. And a lot of the time, like as I said, yeah, before I went off track there, was hoping I ran at Timber and I'm thinking it's full moon tonight, usually they'd be biting, but with the instability in the weather, um, all these, you know, if I could have got on front of the storms, would have done all right, but they'd rolled through and I wasn't hopeful at all, mate, full moon or not. Um, you know, yeah. the whole, I'm thinking, oh, it's just going to be a long, long trip home. I'm, I'm pretty certain I'm going to get a donut and that's what happened. Yeah. You know, that's right. Um, you need you need all you need you need all the moons to align, mate. To all the stars to align to to make that full moon so fruitful. Like, yes, yeah. I've had you know, I've had good bites on any stage of the moon. But if you just say if you're you know you're down at Tumut and you're going to go to Copeton, you're still you know if and if you can time it, you would still want to yes. choose that lead up. You know, yeah, you still want to try and align everything. Yeah. But yeah. if if you don't have the choice because of the actual weather, you'd pick that first, and then you would. Yeah, yeah. it's just an interesting topic. I just like to get people's thoughts and opinions on moon. Yeah. It's, it's a funny so, one. So with bass fishing, I always, I've done it for thirty odd years. I've always found lead up to the full moon is really good. You know, considering the river's at a nice level, it's not dirty. Every, you know, it's not too hot, not too cold, and all the rest of it. But I always find the morning after the full moon is tough. Super tough, yeah. And then and then you get that that late mid morning, eleven through to one o'clock, and then you'll start getting pinning the odd bass again, sort of thing. Like that's, I don't know if they've, they've had a bit of a chew that night before. Yeah. They're not overly hungry, or the, the the moon on waters put them put them deep and shut them down. But I, all I do know is I don't get up early on the the day after the full moon. They're probably napping after having a big night. Yeah. Well, but. <laughs> With cod's totally different. I've had some cracking mornings on on Murray cod on the morning after the full moon. Yeah, yeah. I just you know, as you say, you just can't pick it. There's so many variables to to, you know, to know when your peak fishing times are going to be. Yeah, it's funny. That was good. That's oh, there's so many cool things that have come out of this chat. It just get your head ticking, and you just like. You just try to absorb as much as you can. It's been good. Yeah, no, that's been good, Reese. Appreciate it. So, last of all, um, is there a goal that you haven't achieved? And you don't have to go into massive detail here, but is there a goal or a dream that you haven't achieved yet? And this can be fishing or non-fishing related. Just is there a goal for Um, Curtis that hasn't happened yet? Honestly, Reese, I'm I'm pretty content with life. Nice. Um, I I am, mate. Yeah, I'm... um, Try not to sound like a bloody bragger. No, no, no. I'm, no. I'm semi I'm retired, 41. Um, I go fishing. I can pick me times when I go fishing now. Um, I'm, it, oh, yeah. no, I'm, I, mate, I just love fishing. Like, I get a lot of people hit me up saying, why don't you do YouTubes? And um, it doesn't interest me. I, I, I don't, I've got nothing against it whatsoever. But I just think I go fishing enough. I don't need to bloody watch it on TV all day as well. Yeah. Um, I've got no interest in being a famous fisher, or I, I just yet yeah, my ambition is to just keep doing more, chugging along as I am, mate. Happily married, and nice. um, just go fishing, and and I like crew. Got me, got me cruiser, me caravan, me car top of boat, and we we go yeah, on plenty of holidays. And yeah, I just I just like I just like picking a time to go fishing, and like we're going on Friday for two weeks. 
going to go out to Mount Isa and chase some big barrow out there. And who, oh, we don't know where we'll end up, mate. It's um, how good. That's, Living that's, life, mate. It's only, yeah, only just, here for yeah. a little bit. Like it'll I'm, end one day, you know. What, like, what's that, mate? Like we're only here for a little bit. It ends that's, up yeah, disappearing yeah. one day. So you got to yeah. Oh yeah, I've, I've done plenty, plenty of hard work when I was in the drilling game and that. And no, yeah, no, I'm, I'm content, mate. To be honest, I'm content the way things are. That's awesome. Good yeah. stuff. So, have you got a number one? What's the one? If we could finish up with one tip, and this can be a fishing tip, like a, just a one lesson for people who are going out fishing, just fishing in general, one key lesson that you think is probably the most important that you've learned in your life, or it can be a life lesson, if either or whatever you um, first to finish us up. I think um, I've always found if you learn something yourself, you always remember it, and you always, um, you know, I remember first first meet a barra, and I was over the moon because I, you know, like I, no one told me how to do it, and you know, I was a very average barra fisherman, mate. Believe you, mate. But um, if you learn something yourself, and and you know, and you just keep cracking along at it, um, yeah, it's pretty, um, yeah, it's a good feeling, you know, like. I reckon that's it's, it's better than harassing people and just go, oh, where'd you get that and how, what'd you catch? There's no harm in asking someone, what, what'd you catch that on? And, yeah. But, as, yeah, I reckon it, not not a few things eat yourself and do your research and when you catch that fish, you've been, it might take a few times, but the um, the satisfaction's there, you know, in the capture when you when you finally, you know, get reach your goal. Um, a lot better, you know, I just think, yeah, there's not a few things eat yourself and, and you definitely remember... Things that you've that you've worked out yourself, other than what you've been shown, sort of thing. So, yeah, I reckon, um, yeah, just keep plugging away until you reach that goal, and and you'll remember it, and yeah, and the satisfaction will be there in, in the long run. Awesome, mate, legend. This has been a good podcast and one that I will remember for a long time. I appreciate it. It's been good. No, it's been. Thanks, oh, I've enjoyed it, mate. Enjoyed it, Russ. And did I not tell you guys that that was going to be a cracker of an episode? Curtis is an incredibly knowledgeable angler, like I said, and we just scratched the surface of the knowledge that is in his brain, and I am definitely going to be getting him back on for another episode in the near future. We both really enjoyed it, and I'm sure he won't mind coming on again and talking about more awesome stuff. Now, now, if you do have a question for Curtis um, for a future episode, make sure you just send me a message, uh, tag us on Instagram, ask us the questions because if we get enough questions, I'll get him back on again because um, there's a stack that I had still that I wanted to ask him but I'm keen to hear what questions you would like to ask him because the knowledge there on the Barra uh, up north, the bass um, in those areas that he fishes, the Clarence, the Man River, all that, the Nimboida, and also the cod, especially from back in the days chasing cod at Copeton. There is a wealth and an extensive knowledge, especially because he chases three different species in so many different scenarios. There's such a broad spectrum of information there. And yeah, there's so many questions I'd still love to ask him. But I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I um, hope you're enjoying these podcast episodes because they are going to be back and they will be out every single fortnight. So every two weeks, we will have a podcast episode dropping. 
If there is anyone in particular that you would like us to interview or if there's a particular topic that you want us to talk about, make sure you let us know in some way or form, send me a message or if you jump on to the Social Fishing website, you can create a free account and you can submit listener questions for us that we will do in a listener question episode. So, there's a whole heap of different ways that we can provide information for you guys in this podcast but my favorites of all are the interviews where we sit down and I chat with some extraordinary angles out there. That's the whole point of it. To sit down, not have too much structure, let the flow and the conversation go where it goes and talk about fishing and life. I know you guys enjoyed some of the previous episodes where we talked more about life and things like that. So, I try to incorporate that as much as possible into the podcast. Um, Thanks for your support as always, guys. Really hope you enjoyed it and I'll be back in a fortnight with another episode. If you're keen on more information, uh, if these podcasts don't give you enough, if you're always hanging for more, we've got stacks of videos, stacks of educational content, maps and so much more in the Social Fishing membership platform. If you want to learn more about that, just jump over to socialfishing.com.au, check out the membership platform. It is a growing world of knowledge and that is where we spend a lot of our time helping all of our awesome members that support the whole social fishing brand and what we do. Righto, guys, that's it from me. Enjoy your fishing over the next couple of weeks. The sun is starting to shine, which is awesome to see. I'll be back with another episode soon, and you've been listening to The Social Fishing Podcast. 